I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Well, if you've noticed, I'm kind of standing kind of crooked, and uh, I won't be moving around. I don't know why this morning, but my back just started tightening up. And so I'm probably going to stand here most of the time, which is out of the ordinary for me. But uh, you just pray for me uh, because the Lord's given a word today and I've got to be here to preach it. So uh, I'm going to preach, but uh, y'all just be in prayer for me as I get through this morning. Today, as we continue our study, if you would open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're again in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 through 47. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, you can grab one of the Pew Bibles there. And it's page 857 in the Pew Bible. Page 857 in the Pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible of your own uh, at home or anywhere else, then uh, please take that Pew Bible. And that's our gift to you today. We want you to have that and benefit from having a copy of God's Word. Take it, read it. It will certainly bless your life. Uh, Mary Beth has a plant that she calls Dot. Now, Dot is a 42-year-old, I hope I get this right, split-leaf philodendron. Is that right? Philodendron, all right? So, 42-year-old plant that uh, we've had since we've been married. Uh, Dot was given to Mary Beth's family back when her granny died 42 years ago. And her nana, her other grandmother, took it and raised Dot uh, until we got married. And then when we got married, Mary Beth took Dot, and she's been with us ever since. So she's kind of, she's been with us everywhere we've gone. We've toted Dot all over the world, <laughs> it seems like. But uh, she's been with us, and Dot is a hardy plant. Uh, she's been, she's gotten big, she's grown, and, and even had to be split off and uh, that sort of thing. So uh, it, it's, a, it's been a good plant. Uh, Mary Beth has been devoted to that plant. Uh, there's a reason that she's lived all of these years with us. There's a reason that she's 42 years old and continues to thrive because Mary Beth has devoted herself to taking care of Dot, raising Dot. And Dot is not only a living plant, but she is thriving. So much so that uh, at different times, Mary Beth has had to take Dot out of her pot, divide her up, and send portions of Dot to family members here, there, and everywhere. So uh, because of Mary Beth's devotion to Dot, Dot has grown and, and been distributed all over Arkansas, Louisiana, and probably some in Texas, I don't know. Uh, she's all over the place because of Mary Beth's devotion to doing the things necessary to keep Dot alive and keep Dot thriving. Well, there's a lesson in that for us. You know, we want to be a, not just a living church, but a thriving church. A church that sends the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just to this community, but around the world. And if we want to be that church, if we want to be a living, thriving church, then we, as a church, must be devoted to certain things in order to to keep us alive and keep us thriving. 
We've been talking about that as we've been looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Here we see the early church. And the early church was a living and thriving church. It was a living and thriving church. We've seen it grow from 120-so people to now over 3,000 by the time you get to Acts, at the end of Acts chapter 2. And so it was a living, thriving church, and they're getting ready even now to spread out through the world. And here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it tells us, or it reveals to us, five devotions that this early church had that at least fueled some of that health and growth. And so we've been looking at the five devotions of a healthy growing church as over the course of the last few days or few weeks rather a growing church is devoted first of all to studying God's word and to the church fellowship as we considered two weeks ago now today we consider the third devotion a growing church is devoted to worship a growing church, a healthy church, is devoted to worship. Now the question there then arises, what kind of worship? Because I mean today we've got all kinds of worship, don't we? We have traditional worship, we've got contemporary worship, we've got blended worship. What kind of worship should a church be devoted to in order to grow and thrive and be healthy? Well, as we look at our text, we see here that the importance is not style of worship but there are priorities in worship that should be attended to because let's let's face it right style changes styles shift and change our worship today is not in the same style as the first century church was and a hundred years from now if the lord allows us to continue on the church will be worshiping different then it's not about style, but there are priorities that must be in our worship. And so today I want to show you four priorities that I believe that we see here in the text that should be priorities in our worship. Regardless of worship style, we need to make sure that we focus on these four priorities. We could add some more priorities probably to this list, but these are the four that we see here, I think we see here, in our text today so i want to read it again i know we've read it several times but uh, i want to read it again so if you found your place in acts chapter 2 please stand with me in reverence to the reading of god's holy word hear the word of the lord and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy, 
inspired and inerrant word. And Lord, we pray that you would write its eternal truth on our hearts today. Oh Lord, let us see these priorities that the early church had in their worship and that we must make sure are in our worship. Let us prioritize these characteristics so that we might worship in a way that is honoring and glorifying to your name. Let us have a worship that other people see and it brings their attention to so that we always honor you. Now these things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we begin to look at our text, the first priority that we see a growing church prioritizes Christ-centered worship. A growing church, a healthy church, prioritizes Christ-centered worship. Now, where do you get that from this text? Well, let me show you. Notice there in, that, in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread. Now, your Bible probably says the breaking of bread. All of the English translations say that because that's the smooth translation. But uh, in the Greek, there's a definite article there with the bread. And so it's the breaking of the bread. It's not bread in general. It's a specific bread that, that the author has in mind here. They gathered together and they, they broke the bread together. Now, what does he mean by the bread? What is this breaking of the bread? If you read different commentaries, uh, different commentaries have different ideas of what the bread is. Some say it's the Lord's Supper. It's the Lord's Supper. And sure enough, the early church typically observed the Lord's Supper every time they got together to worship. Others say that it was a common fellowship meal. Not the Lord's Supper, but this common fellowship meal that they had every time they got together. I say yes and amen to both. I, I think the, church, the early church didn't have a distinction between that fellowship meal and the Lord's Supper. It, it all ran together. And we see this, it becomes apparent to us when we consider 1 Corinthians First Corinthians, Paul writing to the church there in First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, he's addressing a problem in the Corinthian church, and they're not observing this meal correctly, and so he's addressing that problem. Notice what he says there. But in the following instruction I do not commend you, because when you come together, that is to come together for worship, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Now watch this. When, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Now notice there, he's indicating that there was a common meal that was, that was prepared and observed when the early church got together. We remember that when the early church uh, was founded, they didn't have nice, lovely buildings like this. 
They didn't have places to go and congregate in. Uh, They had to join together in their homes. These were home churches. And so they gathered together in their homes, and typically this was at night after the workday was done. They would come together to worship. And when they came together, it was a common practice for them to share a meal together. And as a part of that meal, they observed the Lord's Supper together, much like Jesus and his apostles that night as they observed the Passover supper together, that was a, a fellowship meal in many ways, but they observed that supper together, and then Jesus included the Lord's Supper into that. And now the early church, they're doing that same thing. So when he t- says uh, the, they devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread, it is this fellowship meal that was common in every church service there in the early church. But it included the Lord's Supper. Now, why is this important? Why is it important for them to observe the Lord's Supper every time they got together to worship? We don't do that today, but why did they do that? Well, we need to understand that the early church was at a a transitional time in the history of the church. God's people prior to the coming of Jesus, the first advent of Jesus Christ, Prior to Jesus coming and dying on the cross for our sins, being buried and raised again, prior to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where was the center of worship? It was around the temple. Worshiping God was temple-centered. As we studied, you think back a little bit here, as we studied in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 12, you remember, you may remember that there God commanded Israel that their worship was to be centered around the place in which God calls his name to dwell. In in Deuteronomy 12, in fact, he says, don't do like the pagans do, right? You're not to do like the pagans do, worshiping on every high hill and on every rooftop, but instead, you are to focus your worship on the place in which I cause my name to dwell, and that place Once Solomon came along, well, David first, he he established Jerusalem, and that was the place that God chose for his name to dwell. And then Solomon came next after David, and he built the temple. And so from Solomon on, the center of worship was the temple where God's presence dwelled in the temple. And so they're used to that, right? These Jews, they're used to temple-centered worship because that's where God is but now Jesus came Jesus lived for us he went to Calvary cross for us and died for our sins and he was raised again showing us that all of our sin had been paid for but you remember there on the cross as Jesus was breathing his last He said, it is finished, and he breathed his last. And the Gospels tell us that the the curtain in the temple was ripped from top to bottom once Jesus had accomplished his task on Calvary's cross. The curtain that separated God from man had been ripped in two because now Jesus had opened up the path 
We no longer have to go through priests. We no longer have to go through all of those sacrificial systems. Now we have access to God because of Jesus Christ. And so from that point on, worship is no longer temple-centered. It is Christ-centered. And so as the early church began to meet together, how do we communicate this? How do we now change our worship to being temple-centered, to being Christ-centered? And they did it by observing the Lord's Supper every time they gathered together for worship. What is it that Jesus said? When Jesus established the Lord's Supper with his disciples on that night before he, was, he went to Calvary's cross, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup after it and he blessed that. And he said, this is the, the new cup. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And so as the early church is transitioning, as they're moving away from temple-centered worship to Christ-centered worship, they observed the Lord's Supper every time they got together so that they drew their attention to Jesus. Now, we don't have to do that. In fact, we see as church history moved on, they kind of got away from doing that every time. And we, as a church, we observe it at least once quarterly. Sometimes we throw it in more often if something comes up. But the point is not that we observe the Lord's Supper every time we get together. Jesus doesn't command that. He doesn't tell us that in Scripture. The important thing is that we get the principle right. That worship is first and foremost, it must be Christ-centered. Everything that we do here is revolving around Jesus Christ because it's only through Christ that we have access to God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Therefore, as we worship God, we worship God through Jesus Christ. Our worship must be Christ-centered. You know, this is where a lot of the new church growth books get it completely wrong because so many of the church growth books out there today they tell you that the way that you 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 draw people in the way that you grow your church is to focus on the seeker focus on the sinner focus on those who are outside build your worship so that they're drawn in no that is completely unbiblical we do not focus our worship around any person, any outsider or insider. It's not about the seeker. It's not about you. It's not about me. Our worship is about Jesus Christ. So our worship must be Christ-centered. If we want to be a growing church, a healthy church, we must practice Christ-centered worship. I love this song. Sing this song with me. It's all about you, Jesus. And all of this is for you, for your glory and your fame. It's not about me 
As if you should do things my way. You alone are God, and I surrender to your ways. It's all about Jesus. Worship must be Christ-centered. Second, a healthy, growing church prioritizes Bible-centered worship prioritizes Bible-centered worship. And I won't belabor this too much because we've already covered this some um, as we talked about the, prior, uh, the, the devotion to studying God's Word together. But as we think about having our worship being Christ-centered worship, how do we worship Jesus? H- how do we know Jesus and, and, and grow to know Him more? It's only through the Bible. It's only through Scripture. Yeah, we, we don't know Jesus, we don't grow t- in our knowledge of Jesus by sitting and meditating nice thoughts about Jesus. It's not the way it works. The only way that we know Jesus, the only way we know the Word of God that became flesh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory as of the only glory uh, from the only Son, from the Father, So Jesus is the Word of God who became flesh, the full revelation of God. He lived, He died, He was buried, He was resurrected, and now He's gone away into heaven and He sits on His throne in glory. So the disciples, they got to see Jesus, to touch Jesus, to hear Jesus teach, but He's not here for us to hear Him teach and to see Him. So how are we to know Jesus except through his word we know the word that became flesh through the word that is written so we must have scripture bible-centered worship jesus says in john 5 39 you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me here again so many people want to do away with the bible People today want more, more, uh, more stories, more comedy, more drama, more entertainment in church. But less and less Bible. Less and less preaching. In fact, one so-called preacher says that, uh, has said that the, the problem with the church is uh, uh, over, over dependence upon the Bible. Hogwash! Hogwash! The problem with the church today is, is underdependence upon the Bible. The problem with the church today is there's not enough Bible in church. The problem with the, the church today is that too many times the, the Bible, the Word of God, is pushed aside for entertainment. No, 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 dear friend. What we need is more of God's Word because it's only in God's Word that we hear from God. Therefore, worship must be Bible-centered because it's the Bible that reveals to us Jesus Christ. A growing church, a healthy church, prioritizes Christ-centered worship, Bible-centered worship, and third, a growing church prioritizes communal worship. A growing church prioritizes communal worship notice here that they were together 
right? Notice they were together. Again, going down to verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. The indication is here, together, right? They were together in the temple. They were together at home in their worship in their homes as well. So, so they kind of had two things going at this point in time. One would soon change once we get over to Acts chapter 7. We'll see that in our readings. We won't, I won't preach on that, but, but we'll see that in our readings when, when Stephen preaches at the temple and the people get riled up about it and they stone him. That ceases temple worship for the Christians. And now they have to go underground in, in, in Jerusalem after that. But at this point in time, they're not underground, so they're going to the temple. And as we read this morning, they were there in Solomon's portico, Solomon's uh, little place there in the temple complex. That's typically where they seem to have gathered together, the Christians. And the apostles would sit there and they would teach and preach what Jesus had taught and preached to them. And so they had that, but then they also gathered together in their homes at night. And they, again, worshiped at night. I mean, there, there you go, morning, noon, and night. These folks were together, and they were worshiping together. This isn't just Sunday morning and Sunday night. No, this was like almost every day of the week they were getting together, and, and there was preaching going on, there was teaching, there was worshiping going on as they gathered together. But the point is, they gathered together, right? We saw this some when we talked about the fellowship, being devoted to the fellowship, but we... We need to emphasize this because people misunderstand this apparently today because the people don't like to gather for worship. Well, think about even the, even the word church, right? The word church, the, the Greek word for church is ekklesia. It's ekklesia, which means is defined as an assembly, a community, a congregation. You see, church is not a building. This, is, this building, this isn't a church. We call it a church. Yeah, where's your church? Oh, it's down by Popeye's, right? Uh, we call this the church, but this is not church. The church is the assembling of believers. We are the church as we gather together, right? You're not the church. You're a part of the church. We're the church when we come together and assemble. So when we're not assembled, we're not being the church. The church assembles together. The church comes together to worship. And we see that as we, we you, you think back again to Deuteronomy, we see that was even a priority in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God called his people to gather at least certain times of the year to assemble together for worship. Yes, we can worship God on our own. Yes, there are private times of worship. I've experienced that, being out and about and doing different things. I've experienced worship of God. But the priority in Scripture is the gathering of the saints to worship. It is a communal thing. It is an assembling of believers. And when believers assemble together, something spectacular happens God shows up in wonderful ways. When two or more of you are gathered together, there I will be in your presence. Not when you're by yourself, but when two or more of you are to gather together, when you assemble, 
I'm going to be there in even a more spectacular way. Yes, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. But when you gather, there's a special presence of the Lord in the place. And so we're called to, to worship together, to assemble together. We're called to communal worship. Now, I've heard people say, well, well I can worship on the deer stand. Or I can worship out there on the lake. Or I can worship at the ball field. Well, certainly, maybe you can worship at those places. But let me just tell you this. Let me be clear of this. If you choose to go to the deer stand and the lake and the ball field instead of gathering together with God's people, to worship on Sunday as God calls us to gather together and worship on Sunday, you are worshiping something out there, that's for sure, but it's not God. If you choose the deer stand or the lake or the ball field over God, you are not worshiping God. You're worshiping your own wants and desires. You're putting yourself before God. God calls us to communal worship. He calls the church to gather together for worship. Now, I understand there's times that we can't be here. There's times that we take vacation. I take a vacation, and I, I go away, and I typically try to find a church to, to go to or at least watch on live on the live stream or something when I'm on vacation, and, and that's understandable. There's times that we're sick, and we can't be here. There are times that work may call us away from, from church, and, and those things are out of our hands, but when we can, when we're physically able to be with the church and we choose something else over God, we're not worshiping God. You're not worshiping God. God calls us to gather for worship. He calls His church to gather to worship as an assembly. Biblical worship is communal worship. Therefore, church, we need each and every one of you to devote yourselves to gathering together to worship with the saints Sunday after Sunday. Get up out of bed, put off those other things, and come worship with the church. A growing church prioritizes Christ-centered worship Bible-centered worship, communal worship, and fourth, a growing church prioritizes celebratory worship. A growing church, a healthy church, prioritizes celebratory worship. Boy, I love this here. Look there again. Verse 46 going on uh, down there at the, next, the second half of verse 46. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. Now, let's just take each of those little phrases there and, and think about what Luke is saying here. They receive their food with glad hearts as they're gathering together, right? This is in, in the, the context of the church gathering together to worship. They're observing this communal meal that ends with the Lord's Supper. As all, They're doing all of this. This is their worship, right? They're worshiping. 
No, they're not in pews. They're gathered around a table. Nevertheless, they are worshiping God as the church. And they worship with glad hearts. With glad hearts. That word there for glad hearts means exaltation. It means the utterance of sounds expressing great joy. They are, they are worshiping with joy. Worship is a joyful thing. It's a joyful thing. It's a time of rejoicing in the Lord. It's not a time of mourning. It's not a time of lament. Now, there are times for mourning. There are times for lament. And there are times that the church should gather together to lament before God. Right? There's, there's even a whole book of the Bible dedicated to lament. It's the book of Lamentations. A lot of people just skip right over it because it's kind of depressing when you, you start reading it. But it's Jeremiah lamenting before God because of Israel's sin and because of God's judgment upon Israel. He is lamenting. He's mourning sin and the consequences of sin. There are times, man, church, in fact, we probably need to get together sometime and lament the, the, the state of our, our nation. We should probably lament sometimes the state of our church. We need to lament over sin. There's a time and a place for that. But when we come to worship, when we come to worship, that's not a time of lament. That's not a time of mourning. It's a time of rejoicing before the Lord. Celebrating God for all that He has done and all that He is. We are to celebrate God. We're to rejoice in Him. As Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Worship is to be a joyful occasion. It's, a, it's done with glad, rejoicing hearts. But notice also there, he says, it's done with generous hearts. Worship is to be done with generous hearts. And, and the ESV translates this generous. The word here for generous in the ESV, your, your translation may say something different. But the word here, generous or sincere, it only appears here in the Greek New Testament. And it comes from a word that means without a stone, even, or to be smooth. And the idea is that of simplicity. Simplicity, or in this context, sincerity. Sincerity. And I actually like the translation. I think it's the NIV, the NASB, and the Christian Standard Bible. Those three all translate this simplicity. And I think that's a better translation. It's simplicity, I mean, excuse me, sincerity. Sincerity of heart. I think that's the better translation. They, they gather with sincere hearts. Why is that important? Have you ever done something half-heartedly? Have you ever done something that you just weren't into it, right? You were just kind of going through the motions. You, maybe it was out of a sense of duty, but you were just kind of there, coasting. That's not worship. <laughs> That's not celebratory worship. Celebratory worship comes from a sincere heart. You love God. You love Jesus Christ. He is worthy of our glory and our praise. And with sincerity, we lift our voices in joy, worshiping Christ. It's with sincere hearts. Oh, sometimes, you know, you get up in the morning and, 
you don't feel so sincere. Maybe you need to take a little time just to reflect on who God is. Reflect on what Jesus has done for you before you enter those doors, before you come into the church. Reflect on God. And when you come here to gather with the saints for worship, let your heart be sincere in your worship. So celebratory worship is with, with, with joy, with glad hearts, with sincere hearts. And, and third, we see here that celebratory worship is done with passionate hearts. With passionate hearts. He says they, they receive their food with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Praising God. Now think about that. Think about the idea of praising God. Praising God is not something that's kind of passive, is it? No, this, this is a, a, a passionate activity. Praise is a passionate activity. Now think about it. You go down to Tiger Stadium, down there at LSU, LSNU, right? You go down to Tiger Stadium, and, and you're sitting there as a Tiger fan, and, and the Tigers make a, 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 a touchdown. What are you going to do? Yay, Tigers. Woohoo. No, no, no. Woo! Yay, Tigers. Woo! Good job, Tigers. We do the same thing up there in Arkansas. Yeah, when the Hogs play. Woo! Pig Suey. I mean, we call the Hogs with passion because we love our team and we want to support them. It's the same thing with worshiping God. It's the same with worshiping God. Oh, it's a shame that we get more excited, more passionate about football than God. Oh, we should worship with passion. With passion. We need to celebrate God and worship Him with great, great passion. If you will, flip over to Revelation. We've been working through Revelation on Wednesday nights. And... Uh, so y'all who have been in with that, y'all have seen this. But, but in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, we see John is taken up to heaven. And he's sitting there in a vision. He's sitting there and he is witnessing the throne room of God. And of course, in the throne room of God, there is great and wonderful celebratory worship taking place there in the throne room of God. And going down to, to verse 8 there, he talks about the four living creatures who are there around the throne of God. And he says that they call out night and day, day and night. Uh, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then he goes down to the 24 elders and, and, and they worship God. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. You think that's how it's going? No. No, that's not how it's going in heaven. That's not how it's going through before the throne room of God, before the throne of the living God. Are you kidding me? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Woo! Praise Him. 
Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And then in chapter 5, Jesus comes into the room, right? Jesus appears there, and, and they, all of the, all of these, and plus all the myriads of angels join in. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And all the congregation says, Amen. Oh, no, 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 no. Y'all don't get it. And all the congregation said, Amen. Praise God. We praise him with passion. We need to get just as excited about God just as excited about Christ as we do, at least as much as we do about football, basketball, whatever else. But how much more ought we to get excited about Him? Oh, let's worship with passion. Worship with passion. Right? When you come to worship, don't worry about your neighbor. Don't worry about what 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 that, well, what are they going to think? What are they going to think? Why well, worry about what they think? Who cares what anybody else thinks? Care about what God thinks. God is worthy. God is worthy of you embarrassing yourself a little bit. God is worthy of you getting a little silly in your worship. Think about this. Think about David. Yeah, I got to move. I just can't stand it. Think about David. When David brought the, the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, he threw off his royal garments and he danced like a fool before the Lord. And old wife Micah said, Oh, aren't you so, aren't you so royal? Right. Look at you making a fool of yourself. And David, what did he say? I, I'll make a fool of myself even more before my Lord. Why? Because God is worthy. God is worthy. Oh, let's not let, let's be Baptist in our doctrine, but let's get a little Pentecostal in our worship. How about that? It's okay, right? It's okay if you raise your hands. Or if you can't raise them that high, raise your hand. Praise God. Whatever that looks like for you. I'm not going to tell you how. I'm not, you know, this is not more holy than this. But, but whatever, whatever it is, be passionate about worship. Because God is worthy of our celebratory worship. We need to prioritize celebratory worship in church. When it comes to worship, style is not what's important. Think about this. Today's contemporary is tomorrow's traditional. In fact, I heard someone say this week they're feeling old because a song that was contemporary when they were kids is now in the Baptist hymnal. All right? It, it always is going to change. It's always going to transform. Style is not what's important. Worshiping God prioritizing 
the right attributes in worship is what's important. A growing church is devoted to worship that is Christ-centered, Bible-centered, communal, and celebratory. On Sunday morning when you get up, right, some mornings you don't feel like it. They're just those mornings. Some mornings you're not going to feel like it, but get up. Take time to meditate on God. Prepare yourself, right? Prepare yourself to come to worship. Set aside the other worries and concerns of the the times and, and prepare yourself to worship God with the saints. If we get ready for a ball game, shouldn't we get ready for worship? Prepare your hearts for worship. Focus on Jesus, not your neighbor. Focus on Christ and pour out your heart in praise and adoration for all who God is and all that He has done for us. We can never run out of things to praise God about. Prepare your heart for worship. Now for some, for some, there is no joy. There is no reason to praise Because you are lost and without hope in the world. You don't know the joy of salvation because you've never, maybe you've never heard about Jesus. Maybe you've never heard about God's salvation. Maybe you're you're sick of, of, of trying to do good but never being able to do good enough. You'll never be good enough. Because ultimately, friend, you are a sinner. And you actively rebel against the holy God. But the good news is that God loves you. Even while you're a sinner, God loves you. And this is how he loves you. That he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live in perfect obedience to God's will on your behalf. And to go to Calvary's cross and there die for your sins. He paid the penalty for your sin in your place by dying on Calvary's cross. He was buried, and three days later, because there was no sin in him, showing that all sin had been paid for and giving you assurance of eternal life in him, God raised him again from the grave. And he sits and reigns in heaven today over his church. And he offers salvation to you if you only trust in Him. Scripture tells us, if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died for your sins and was raised again, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's all there is to it. The question is, will you trust in Jesus today? Will you surrender your life to Him? Surrender your life to Christ experience the joy of his saving grace and join the church in worshiping our savior heavenly father lord we thank you for your word we thank you that we have the privilege to come together joining with the rest of the church with all of these saints and worshiping you week after week Oh, Lord, may our worship be worthy of your glory. And, Lord, where it fails, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us and empower us 
to improve it. Lord, we just want to honor and glorify your name. Lord, you are worthy. Let us set aside all, of, all distractions and worship you. Father, today, I do pray if there's any who've never trusted in Jesus, they don't know the joy of your salvation. They don't know what it is to worship with a heart of joy and sincerity. Oh, Lord, let them see Jesus today. Let them learn the joy of your salvation in him. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.